0: If we could turn in our Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22, verse 54, to the end. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Let's read from the Word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorised version. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crewed. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemy spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Thou art the Christ, tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me. "'Nor let me go, hereafter shall the Son of Man "'sit in the right hand of the power of God.' "'Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God?' "'And he said unto them, Ye say that I am.' "'And they said, What need we any further witness?' "'For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth.' "'Amen, we know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing "'this reading of his own precious and infallible word.'" Now, my text tonight is taken from Luke chapter 22, verse 64. And it reads And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And I want us to think tonight of the significance of the blindfolding of Christ. Now, after the Lord Jesus Christ had celebrated the Jewish Passover with his disciples, he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And during this supper, he informed them as they sat around the table, one of you will betray me, and I'm going to be put to death, and that death will be by crucifixion. The disciples were stunned. They were perplexed. They asked, is it I? Now, after Judas Iscariot, the betrayer had left the upper room and went out into the night. The rest then followed Christ over the brook Tedron, singing a hymn. And they went into the garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means winepress. And while they were there, the Lord Jesus became very, very sorrowful. He, He took with him Peter, James, and John. And he said to them, look, I want you to sit here for a while. And I want you to watch and pray with me while I go a bit further. And the Bible tells us he went about a stone's throw from them. And he, he, at that spot, started to pray to his heavenly father. And the scriptures reveals that he became exceedingly sorrowful. So much so that his heart and soul and mind was in agony. You see, he knew what was in front of him. He he knew in his mind as he contemplated the horrors of the cross that he was going to be crucified on the very next day. He knew that his hour had come and had come for him to be fulfilled and glorified. John 12 and 23. So much so that Christ prayed with such great intensity and as he did so, the Bible tells us, his sweat became, as it were, drops of blood. Now, now that's a most sacred scene. You think of the kneeling Christ, praying in agony, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood over his body. This was no mere half-hearted time of prayer. This was no casual time of waiting upon God. This was not merely a quiet, routine time of prayer, but a real time of prayer In agony from the heart. The Bible tells us he he prayed uh, for uh, three hours. Uh, And each time he came back to his disciples, he found them sleeping. And he asked them, what could you not watch with me but one hour? Then into the garden came another band of men. These men were not here to associate with Christ. They, They were not here to assist Christ in any one way. They were here to arrest him. Judas Iscariot came forward and kissed him. That was the sign of the betrayer. Christ was arrested. He was whisked off to the house of Caiaphas. Now, remember, the Lord Jesus Christ had done nothing wrong. He hadn't been guilty of any sin or committed any crime. He hadn't done anything illegal. In fact, he never said a sinful word Entertained a sinful thought Or or committed a a lawless deed And yet he's arrested He's put into prison And it all happened at night There, There was nothing legal About this arrest and imprisonment At this time The officers even failed to give him rest Listen to what the Bible says And the men that held Jesus Mocked him Luke 22, 33 And smote him And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Now, that's significant. I want you to think of the significance of the blindfolding of Christ. Four things, very quickly. I want you to think of the historical relevance of the blindfold. It says in verse 64, and when they had blindfolded him, we'll pause there. Now, I want you to think of Christ, young people. And he's in the prison cell downstairs in the basement in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And he's in the hands of sinful, ungodly men. We're told in verse 63, and the men that held Jesus. Now, I'll explain that in a little moment they held him prisoner, but it's more than holding him prisoner. It's a a way that they held him that I want you to think about. And then not only did they hold Jesus, but they mocked him and, and they smote him. And then it says, and they blindfolded him and struck him in the face and asked him, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? Now I want you to understand tonight, this was a sinful game in the hands of ungodly men. You've heard of Blind Man's Buff. You've probably played it. Some of you bigger children have played it. You've maybe played a game, Pin the Tail and the Donkey with a Blindfold. Or you've maybe played that other game that's got something uh, animal that's uh, full of sweets and you have to break it open. Is it, what's it called, pinata or something? Like that? So I want you to think... Of a game Because this is exactly what it was When the Bible says they blindfolded him This was a sinful game By the hands of these sinful Soldiers that were guarding him You you think if, if I pick a number 50 soldiers And every soldier by the centurion Was given a number And those soldiers would have formed A ring around Christ And Christ Would have been in the middle and he was blindfolded. And the centurion charge, they would call out number seven. And number seven would step forward and smack Christ in the face. Punch him in the face. And then he would step backwards. And then number, say, 47 was called out. Right through to the whole 50 of the company of soldiers had taken their turn to punch and smote Christ. And as they smacked him in the face, they they taunted him. And here was the question, prophesy unto us. Who is it that smote thee? I heard this story about the late Dr. Paisley, that he had a good friend in charge of Training army cadets And he asked the late Dr. Paisley to come and preach to them Dr. Paisley of course agreed Yes I'll go and preach But it'll be on condition You're their trainer I want you to give a testimony to them First And of course the the trainer did so And the young men that were there as young cadets They laughed and they mocked And they jeered at their leader You see they, they were mainly godless young men So it was Dr. Paisley's turn to preach And he stepped forward and said this, I detected, you don't want me to preach to you today. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have a question and answer session. So a young man got up. uh, He had a spirit of mockery about him. He strolled to the front of the mess hall. and, And he asked this question, why do you call him Jesus? Why not Bill? Why not Fred? Why not George? And of course they all ba- uh, thumped their seats and the young men roared with laughter and they, they, they mocked. and they, you, you can just picture them. You, you can hear them tonight. The young man was strolling back to his seat and Dr. Paisley hollered at him, Young man, I'm not finished. The young man turned around and Dr. Paisley said to him, You've asked a very, very intelligent question. I know you don't know it. I know you don't realize it. You young men don't realize it. But that's a very, very important question. Why is he called Jesus? Well, let me tell you why. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. I shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he used that as a springboard to preach Christ to them in the gospel. And it turned to be a very moving sermon. And some of those mockers, they were in tears. And some of them had repented of their sin and received Christ before the sermon had finished. You see, it was part of a mocker's game that these sinful, ungodly soldiers blindfolded their victim. They they had done it before. They had played the game many times. They had been involved in many crucifixions. And they would sucker punch that victim. And then ask the question, who smote you? And you see, the Lord Jesus knew every one of their names. Despite the blindfold and the darkness, he could have named every one of their soldiers. He knew all about them. You picture Christ in that earthly court and the historical relevance of the blindfold. He had submitted himself to that. The blindfolding and the beating of Christ very significant, very important. There's only one reference to it in the whole of the Bible. Is these things not written for our learning, written for our instruction. Remember what we read in Romans chapter 15 and in the verse four, for whatsoever things were written the time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It's recorded for our learning. It's recorded for our instruction the historical relevance of the blindfold what was it it was a sinful game they were playing and yet you think of the future this was an earthly court and they had blindfolded Christ and he knew their name could you think of a day when the judgment would take place in heaven and these same soldiers will stand before Christ and the Lord Jesus will say you're one of the ones that sucker punched me Caiaphas' prison cell, it was you. I want you to think of something else. The hatred revealed by the blindfold. You see, when they blindfolded Christ, there was a a real disdain of Christ. They were were trying, in a sense, to to hide their, their hatred of Christ. But these sinful men, and the way they treated the Lord Jesus that night, displayed a great disdain for Christ. So there's a disdain here in the blindfold. All they're doing, remember, was illegal. It was all wrong. We had right to ask them at the first soccer punch what has he done wrong? What has he done against you, you, you sinful ungodly men? He hasn't broken the law. He hasn't acted in a criminal way. Yet they're full of hatred toward him. So much so that the Bible says here and the men that held Jesus. That means they, they gathered around him. They, they pressed in close to him. And they mocked him and they smote him. They him, They struck him. They taunted him. Who smote they? Remember, this is the one that went about doing good. Had he not fed the multitude? 5,000, 4,000? Did he not heal the sick? Did he not give sight to the blind? Could the lame not come and testify that, that it was Christ that made them to walk? The dumb could speak. The dead had been raised. Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, Lazarus. Was the demon possessed, not delivered? In every word that he spoke, was it not truth, the whole truth and nothing but the, Did they not say "Never a man speak like this one? Who said that? It was members of the chief priests and the elders. They, they had sent a company to arrest Christ. And when they heard him speak the words of truth and life, a mob that was sent to arrest him reported back. We find no fault in him. Never man spake like this man. This man had not one fault, not one flaw, not, not one sinful failure, not one sinful feature. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. And yet, they gathered around him. So much so that they were invading his personal space. They were smiting him in the face. They spat upon him. They blindfolded him. Can you get the picture? Pressing in on Christ. Mocking him, smiting him, blindfolding him, taunting him. Striking him. You see, whenever he had to blindfold on... In a physical sense, in a human sense, he, he couldn't see them. He couldn't see where the next blow was coming from. All he could hear was the number being called out. The Lord Jesus was in total darkness. He was in the dark. He was disadvantaged. And I'm, I'm sure, humanly speaking, if I could say it, he was distressed and, and disoriented with every, every blow. Can you get the picture? Cursing and mocking and blaspheming, striking, punching, spitting, taunting Christ. Pure hatred toward him. Total disdain for Christ. Remember, as I've said, these were sinful, ungodly men. Not only were these sinful men ungodly, but all sinful men have a part in the cursing, mocking, blaspheming, striking, punching, spitting, and the taunting of Christ. In a sermon by a man called the Reverend Jeff Thomas, he quotes Hans Sebastian Bach, quoting this biblical picture in, in one of his musical items. And the question was asked, who struck you? And here was the answer that Sebastian Bach gave. It was I and my sins. I'm the one that struck you. You see, hatred for Christ, the preaching of the gospel, the word of God, the reading of the scriptures, we only have to listen to what the Crown Prosecution Service in England said recently about reading certain passages from the Bible in public to realize the disdain for God and Christ and, and his word and his work they 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 rail against the law of God they rail against salvation they rail against the people of God ungodly sinful people filled with an intense hatred for Christ they wanted nothing to do with this man not only do we see their disdain here for Christ, but we see their depravity here. He's the creator of the universe. He's the perfect son of God. He's the upholder of the whole universe by the word of his power. He holds their very life in his hands. The breath that they breathe, they're dependent on. Can you think of the soldier striking Christ in the very breath that he breathed? The ability to strike and hit Christ. Christ, give him that breath and strength. And yet he's filled with a hatred for Christ. There's a defilement here because every sin defiles. Hatred is seen in his actions. There's a defiance here. The sin of hating Christ. And it's the context. The game goes on into the night. It's your turn. We had a game here on Friday night. Something similar of calling out numbers. And it's your turn. But these men were determined to carry on until it was finished. And there's a dishonor here. Christ is an innocent man. He's defenseless. We get we asked, well, what, what kind of men do and behave in this way? There, there's nothing manly here. Rejecting God and Christ and the things of God. Rejecting the Ten Commandments. Living without reference to God and his law. These are the actions of these sinful men that's being displayed here. A disdain for Christ. Displaying their depravity. D- displaying a, a defilement from their heart and life a defiance a, a dishonor of him and I ask tonight what is your heart like towards Christ do you know him do you have a love for him or do you hate him without a cause do you have to see him for Christ because of your depravity and and I want you to realize if you do you're defiling yourself and, and you're living in defiance of him, and you're dishonoring him because of his goodness and his mercy to you as a, as, a, as, a, as a creature in his image. The third thing I want to say tonight is the humiliation that's real in the blindfold. You see, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read these words about the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 is very significant. It says... And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. Remember, he's the Son of God. He's the Lord of glory, as we saw this morning, the King of kings. He's the one that's from glory, he's the one that's all glorious, the world's creator and the world's provider. The one who does good things to unworthy, sinful men. And yet this is what they did to him. And the amazing thing is this. He allowed them. It was all part of his state of humiliation. His humiliation, as we talk about young people, began in his incarnation. In his virgin birth, in the fullness of time. In the life that he lived for 33 years. In allowing himself to be treated... At the hands of sinful ungodly men. His humiliation continued into his cross work. When he suffered the wrath of God. When, when he, he, he offered himself a once and for all sacrifice to God. And, and, and he, his death was an atoning death that he might bring us to God. Think of his burial. And then bringing us to the state of exaltation. Starting with the bodily Resurrection. The pain is real. I'm amazed and was struck today with what Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and 18. For Christ also, if one suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. These sinful men showed no pity, no mercy, no respite. And yet Christ submitted himself to this. Even the blindfold. All that they did, I believe, was foreordained by Almighty God. Who amongst us could understand Christ's sufferings, his physical agony, his mental agony? Can you think of a blindfold being put on? You can't see, and then men are punching you, beating you. What do you want to do? Do you want to rip the blindfold off and, and strike back? you think of his spiritual sufferings. Psalm 22 and verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you see, the devil, I believe, was at the back of all of this awful spiritual conflict that was going on. Why? What was the purpose? He was the just one for the unjust. Think of what he suffered. Think of how he suffered. I believe he not only suffered, but he suffered in total silence. We don't read of one word of protest. No condemnation. I'll get you back, boys. No complaint. No yelling. No ouch. Not, not a curse upon you. If it had been happening to me, well, or you, we would have been shouting, would we not? There would have been a cry Lord, avenge me of mine enemies. So think of Christ suffering. And he's suffering in solitude. But think of Christ suffering in silence. He's alone. He singled him out. There's nobody with him. All the disciples have fled. Even Peter. Peter has just denied him of those and cursings. Doesn't Isaiah 63 talk about Christ treading the wine press alone? Think not only of his suffering and his silence and solitude. But, but think of his substitutionary sacrifice. Hebrews 10 and 12 says, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Here's a, here's a powerful picture of Christ in his humiliation. His suffering was real. His silence was real. His solitude was real. His sacrifice and substitutionary atonement was real. And we ask the question, is it nothing to you? What's your thought in mind? Does it, it move your heart? Remember Paul was taken up in Galatians 2 and 20. The son of God who loved me gave himself for me. He was overwhelmed. Three young men, they decided to go into a Roman Catholic chapel or cathedral in Paris. It was to the Archbishop of Paris. And one of them pretended that he was going to give us confession. And he made up a false confession. And of course, now I want to make it clear, I don't believe in confession to a priest, not even a Protestant confessional. We don't believe in penance. We, we, we don't believe in um, Roman Catholicism and their dogmas and doctrines. But, but, but I want to illustrate the point. Whenever that young man who went into the Archbishop of Paris and Went into the confessional box and made his confession. After hearing the confession, this was the penance. Young man, I want you to go out into this cathedral. And you'll see a crucifix up on the wall. We don't believe in crucifixes either. But he says, I want you to kneel down in front of it. And I want you to say this to that image as you look upon it. Look into the face of Jesus and say this. You did it all for me. Of course, the young man was skipping out of the cathedral. He said to his mates, now you've got to pay me the money. You bet me that I wouldn't do it. I have made up a confession. I went in and I got him to give me a penance. What was the penance? Oh, go and kneel down in front of the statue. Oh, he says, you're not doing that. He says, well, you'll have to if you want to win the money. Here's the money. You've got to go in back in there. So back in he went and he knelt down in front of the crucifix. He looked up and he, he started to say this. You did it all for me. And as he said it, he broke down and he was overcome and he couldn't remain there and he didn't take the money from his friends. He was broken and smitten. Now I'm not advocating a crucifix. I'm not advocating a confessional or or the priesthood. But what that young man did in a spiritual sense is what you need to do. You need to kneel down before Christ and you've got the Allow your mind and your heart to be overwhelmed with this. You did it all for me. For the humiliation of Christ was real in that blindfold, in that he submitted himself to that, so that he would suffer, that he would be in silence, as a lamb to the that he would be in solitude, that he might render a substitutionary sacrifice to God. Behold the man. The Bible says, he purchased our atonement. He procured our redemption. He provides a crown of righteousness for all who trust him. His suffering was sinless, submissive, selfish, sacrificial. It was sufficient and it's saving. One final thing as we finish. The honor regarded through the blindfold. Why did he allow this? He's the all-powerful one. He's the Lord of glory. He was able to stop them. He he could have broke free. He could have taken their breath away. Do you know the first soldier that came forward to swing his fist into the face of Christ? He could have dropped dead with a heart attack. But why did he didn't? Remember when they arrested him, he asked him the question, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible says, and they fell backwards. See, they had no power to do anything to Christ unless that power and authority had been given to them by the Father. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. It says this as we listen to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken up by wicked hands of crucified and slain, whom God had raised up, Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. Why did he come? What was his purpose? What was his mission? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He counted a great joy, he counted a great honor to suffer on behalf of his Father. He fulfilled the promise to the Father in the covenant of redemption. He came to bleed and die for all that would trust him as Lord and Savior. He fulfilled his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost by dying the horrible death of crucifixion. He rejoiced in his work, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. No other sacrifice, no other Savior. And and one day these very men will stand in heaven's court. And he'll be on the throne. And he'll be able to say to them, you did it unto me. You see, it made it easier when they blindfolded him because they didn't want to look him in the eye. And yet he saw them through the blindfold. He knows their name. He knows their deed. And yet the Bible tells us this lovely passage, and with this we finish. Listen to these beautiful words in Romans 5. For when we were yet without strength, that strength to save ourselves, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if Christ died for you, then come and kneel at the cross, the honor regarded in the blindfold. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to us this evening.